Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom! It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective as we're here tonight. We have uh, two great guests. We'll have Curtis Steeman coming on from Port City Films. We'll talk about East Carolina and obviously the entrance video that he is uh, obviously a graduate of that. And Jonathan Medford, they both work really hard down in Wilmington. Uh, with their business and uh, have helped us out with the interest video. We'll have them in the second half hour. Uh, first off, though, we have from The Athletic, one of my favorite websites, theathletic.com, Nicole Arbach, uh, talking about COVID-19 and sports and uh, perfect timing. Nicole, we were talking to you. First of all, welcome into the show. How are you? Thanks. Uh, well, I'm hanging in there. It's just, you know, each day feels very similar to the last one still. <laughs> yeah, we have the usual suspects, Kyle from LaGrange, Barbara, obviously, and Bubba Rosenbaum. Uh, wanted to have you on. The Athletic is awesome. If you folks, if you haven't gotten The Athletic, what's wrong with you? Get it, theathletic.com. It is great. It's like having sports journalism back in the day with the great uh, work like writers like Nicole that have uh, beat writers and different ones about different things. It's Nicole, you had an excellent article the other day about COVID-19. That's why we invited you on uh, about that in sports. And lo and behold, about an hour before you come on the air with us, we got a breaking news from our athletic department locally in East Carolina, that they're suspending all the operations right now because we had, what, guys, 27 positives out of all the people they tested. Only five have recovered. And so they decided to halt things for right now to see how things go. And I was like, man, that's perfect timing when, Nicole, it's like this story just continues to build upon itself. It's a never-ending story, I guess, for those of you that are beat writers, but not the kind of uh, story we want right now, right, Nicole, if you're in the world of sports. Yeah, I mean, and you work at a sports outlet, right? Like, the, you know, we all get into this because we want to see the games and we want to see uh, things actually play out. And even, you know, three, four weeks ago, we felt like it was a totally different world. And, and there was a lot of optimism and confidence that college football was going to start on time. There were, you know, people were talking about capacity, right? They were saying, oh, can we get 10 percent, 25 percent, 50 percent? It was very, very different. And then obviously it drastically changed, you know, as we could start getting data about all these outbreaks, which obviously are, you know, throughout a lot of college football hotbeds. Yeah. Uh, in the South, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, numbers all going up every day. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have started, uh, a lot of people, a lot of states started mandating masks and uh, some people are taking it seriously than others. Um you know, a uh, doctor friend of mine, uh, Dr. John Bream, said if we can get 80, 80% compliance of people in America wearing masks, that we could nip this thing in the bud in about six weeks. Would be great. That would be great. I wish I wish people realized this back in March, but I guess, you know, late is better than, than never. And, you know, it's been interesting because now you're starting to see those mask PSAs in, like, the SEC, right? We're talking about a lot of those states where there's a lot of outbreaks are in the SEC. Um, and I think that it's been interesting because really in the last like three days, publicly, the leaders in the SEC have finally acknowledged that this is a real threat to having a fall college football season, which right. some of their peers were more ready to go there and to talk about that um, sooner than they were. 
What do you make of um, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the MAC uh, announcing they're going to go conference only? Uh, do, do you think it's – well, what do you think the point of that is? I mean, you, 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 your first reaction, at least initially to me, is, well, it reduces travel, but it doesn't really. I mean, it's a long damn right. way from Nebraska to New Jersey, you know, when you're yeah. talking about the Big Ten. Is, is it to make it just more manageable where you got fewer games to play and more opportunities to reschedule things? If need be, uh, because of, you know, maybe a team can't play because their entire quarterback room's got COVID. Yeah, so it's it's not really about travel at all. And I, I do think that that was something that confused a lot of people as well, because if, you, if you're thinking about, you know, okay, like if a Big Ten Mac game is drivable, like what's the difference here, right? Or, or isn't that better than, than a flight? Um, but really the, the two things that I keep coming back to about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 making that decision is one is the minimum standard of testing. They don't have to call their opponents all the time and see exactly what they're doing. They don't have to worry if their opponent can't afford it. Like, obviously, everyone wants to have the same level of testing. They want to do it as frequent as possible, but it's very expensive. So instead of worrying that, like, maybe your opponent isn't testing to the standard that you want, that you are, and that there maybe is an undetected outbreak on that roster, and then you're going to mix the two teams and put your own players at risk, you get rid of that, you know, you just don't have that as a potential issue. And then also, it's, it is about that flexibility from a scheduling standpoint, because, you know, these are the same people who are on meetings and, and calls all the time. There's more flexibility if you do, like you mentioned, you get rid of a couple of games. So you have 10 games over 13 weeks, buys in some time if you want to start a little bit later, or if you have outbreaks and you need to take a pause in the middle of the season. Plus, it's just easier to reschedule and move things around when you get when you get rid of those variables that are outside of your conference, right? Everyone's just on the same page. You, you know, you know, your your broadcast partners, everything is just easier when it's when it's in-house. And so I think that's really where this is, more so even than the minimum standard of testing, and definitely more so than geography. It's just about the ease of flexibility because you're assuming that you're gonna need that. It, it, potentially on the front end of the season, the middle end of the season back end of the season, like all of that, it's just a lot easier to move those pieces around if they're all within one league. Yeah, and one thing I'm wondering about, if we are able to play this fall, and that's a big if, you know, we, with the you got three conferences so far, two power five, one group of five, uh, making the decision to go conference only. Um, what if the other, you know, what if the SEC, ACC, Big 12, American, Mountain West decide not, or, you know, two of the three or three of the four, decide not to, to do conference only, you know, it's, if we get to the point where we play a whole season and we have a traditional bowl season and playoff, it's going to have to be some, some things looked at that, you know, uh, people normally don't have to think about in terms of the amount of wins for bowl eligibility and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and listen, if we get to that point where we're, we're arguing, right. And that someone played, you know, three more games than somebody else and who's deserving. That's great. That's a great problem sure. to have right at this point. Um, because the season itself is in doubt. So um, I would gladly welcome those arguments. And I think everyone would be thrilled with that. I mean, I, you know, I've talked to Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff about, you know, what do you do if people do have diff- like, totally different resumes, very different than what we're used to talking about. We're used to talking about like, okay, this team made their conference championship game, so They played 13 games. That one only played 12. Like that's the type of difference we're used to talking about. Um, we're not used to saying like, well, this team only played eight games and this team played five, right? So um, he was saying that, you know, that they would be flexible. They would react to, you know, whatever, you know, the, the Power Five, the FBS leagues need them to do. But also just in general that 
they might implement a minimum standard of games played to get consideration for like a New Year's Six Bowl of a college football playoff berth, um, like like at that level. Um, but I do think that, you know, we've already seen some waivers affected for like bowl eligibility that you could count two FCS opponents for towards that. So I think in terms of other elements of a postseason, if we we're, were to get to that point, I think those things will be determined. Um, but that's really all anyone can do at this point, because even starting the season is in question. So, I, you know, the questions about the end of the season, I, I think you could work those out mid-season if you needed to. Yeah, I just I want to make another just just a just an interesting thought and point about about the scheduling thing. You know, being an East Carolina guy and keeping up with the American Conference, it, it could be interesting. You know, you could have let's say the American and the Mountain West decide to go forward with non-conference games, and you got a UCF, for example, going undefeated again, and they they have a thirteen and zero season counting the conference championship game, and nobody else has come close to playing thirteen games. Maybe this would be their opportunity to finally make a playoff. Right. Yeah. You could, that's, that is a potential scenario. You, you know, what would also be interesting would be, um, I think everyone would just kind of assume, and this was actually a question in my colleague, Chris Vanini, who does a great job covering the group yes. five in his mailbag, but it was about like, is the A, is the American champ just going to be the team that would get that New Year's six slot? You know, like what, what would have to happen in a weird season for someone else to be assumed, right? If you have less, right. less data points to compare teams. Um, so it might have to be like the reverse of what you're describing. Like, let's say the Mountain West plays, you know, a longer season. Boise State's undefeated, wins more games than you see. Right. Like the, the, yep. the, that type of thing could absolutely come into play. And again, if we're having these arguments in December, November, December, like that's great. I yeah. would be thrilled. That would be. I agree, cool. I agree with you 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. That very thing, Nicole, um, with, as far as the if you only have conference only across the board, would that mean we were talking this last night? I believe uh, four is that four conference. I mean, uh, four wins in your conference, four out of the eight games to make a bowl. And you're assuming you're playing an eight game conference schedule, Dave. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think they would. I think they would adjust. They would figure out those thresholds. Because um, again, like the, we're talking about bowl season, which would be during the winter, which we've been told is not going to be great. It's going to coincide with a flu season. So. Um, again, there, there may not even, like, even if there is, you know, we get to that point in the season, it, it may be possible that not every bowl game is, is operating, you know, and, and hosting a game too. So I, I think all of that stuff will be worked out. I think that's why you've seen things on the front end, like the waiver that would allow you to count two FCS opponents towards bowl eligibility. Cause you're trying to do a little adjustments on the front end. And then kind of, again, if you need to make it five game, five wins instead of six or four, whatever, you can do that later. Um, because these things are, I mean, the NCAA has a lot of bureaucracy, but they can get this stuff done, you know, over that period of time if they need to. Nicole, what are you hearing in terms of um, schools playing without any fans? Uh, I know uh, the city of Philadelphia, I read online, uh, I need to check my source to make sure this is accurate, but I read online earlier that the city of Philadelphia has banned any large gatherings until this 2021. So, therefore, Temple, another American conference team, uh, that means, in, th in theory, that they wouldn't be able to have any fans at their games. Uh, do you think that, that you know, a school would, would, would have football with absolutely no fans? I mean, I do. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you can, these are conversations we've had for a few months now, right? And the, the thinking is, especially at the FBS level, that there's a lot of money coming in from these media rights deals. And, 
yeah, it, it, it would suck not to have that ticket revenue coming in. And that matters at a lot of schools. But I do think, you know, you, you need to broadcast the games. That That's where the majority of the money is coming from. And so um, people would play in front of an empty, empty stadium. I, I think there's an optics problem if you're saying it's not safe enough to bring fans, but it's safe enough for your college students to play on the field. And obviously the pushback to that is the amount of the crowd size, the protection, the equipment, all of those other things. But um, you know, that's something to consider as well. I, I think that the conversation around around crowds and fans has really just kind of gone away. I mean, I haven't no one's brought that up in a conversation to me in three weeks, you know, because now it's, it's you know, on the uncertainty of can you continue practicing? Can you have games? Um, so I think people would take it, you know, if you can get to that point, even if you can't have fans. But that actually is one of the one of the talking points a little bit. You know, in the early conversations about, you know, if you postpone the fall season to spring is, you know, you're hoping that society at large is in a better place, that we've contained the virus more, that things like the restrictions on fan, you know, on, on the size of gatherings, restrictions on traveling, crossing states and quarantining and social distancing, that the hope is that if you contain the virus more, you, you have less of those restrictions and then maybe you could have, if you have spring football, maybe you can play that in front of fans. Yeah, a couple of things. One, uh, talking about spring football, uh, news coming out today, vaccine trials successful, uh, here in the States and supposed to go to production, hopefully by the end of summer and, uh, hoping to have, uh, they claim they're going to have, try to have 300, 300 million vaccines ready by early next year. So, um, if that keeps moving forward, that'd be really good. Um, and then a couple other things. Uh, you're talking about fans, no fans. Uh, Bristol this weekend, NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, we're not having 30,000 fans there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. That'll be, um, a telltale sign for states that do allow it, like Tennessee. You know, can, can you have 30,000 at Rocky Top? Um, and, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm throwing a lot of things at you. You talk about the FBS level playing games with no fans because of TV contract revenue. Yeah, and that's true for the Power Five, and even maybe for the American. Our television contract is worth around seven million per team now. But you take somebody like the Sun Belt, who's FBS. Uh, their their money is minuscule. I mean, it's I like don't know. How you, yeah, it's a few hundred thousand dollars. So I don't know how you justify it for them. Yeah. So um, a couple of points. So uh, on this subject of, of crowds and things, again, like. I think that a lot of the college leaders had had hoped that pro sports would be a little bit further along because they have said they really wanted to see how it worked and learn from protocols and things. So I, I do think um, anything that is tested, like crowds um, at, a, at an NASCAR event, like people will be tracking that and, and seeing how it works. And then obviously, like what happens in that area in terms of, you know, positive cases, um, positive test results in cases um, afterwards. So I think that's absolutely something that, um, you know, will be on people's radars. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the impact to different leagues, even within, you know, the same category, like an F FBS league, even within the group of five, as you guys know, there, there's totally there's differences. And, um, you know, that that's why people, you know, the MAC has a lot of state schools that, um, you know, are, are expecting to not get that much from the state, state appropriations. Right. So there there's going to be very different impact. I apologize. My dog is whining in the background that's, that's okay we he's love got dogs strong, he's got strong opinions about this stuff but you know i think i think that it, it is going to impact teams schools and leagues very differently um you know depending on again you know 
what a season looks like, when it is, how many games they get in, if they can have fans. Um, and again, like to your point about media rights um, and, and what that means. So, you know, when you think about potentially the need to make cuts and cut sports and staff and scholarships and things, those really hard decisions that could happen if you don't have a fall season, it's going to look different at different levels and different individual campuses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you had to, if you had to, 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 to say today, your best guess from, you know, you, everybody you're talking to, do you think it's more likely we do play at some point in the fall or if we're going to be playing football in the spring? It's a hard question to answer because there, there are still people in the camp of, you know, see if you can delay, you know, delay a month, um, see if you can, you know, or shorten a season, right? And, and try to look at those types of flexibility. But I do think more and more people are coming around on the idea of buying yourself more time, buying yourself six months to figure this out. Um, and again, hope that maybe there's a vaccine, but even if there's not a vaccine, that it's contained more, that you don't have these outbreaks that are happening. And then thinking about adding thousands of regular college students to these environments, right? So um, just that society would have a better control of the of the of what's going on around sports. Um, so I, I think that that people are coming around on that. Obviously, the risk is that, you know, we haven't improved and you can't have a spring season and then you're out of time. Right. And you have nothing for an academic year. You have no college football. So that would be a, a, a concern to a lot of people. But I, I think that you are seeing growing support for people to um he is just like really whining, um, but you're, you are seeing growing support for spring and at least trying it because again, the worst thing that can happen is, is no sports, no college football in the entire academic year. And then I think another bad outcome here is if you start a football season in the fall and have to shut it down. I think, I think that's a bad outcome as well. Also, I'm going to feed him really quick. Hold on. Okay. How about okay. <laughs> Pete is hungry, Dave. Uh, yeah. Feed yeah. Jake. Yeah. Feed Jake. He's a friend of mine. Yeah, I um no I, I you fit him that fast, you're good. Um I, he needs that's what he wants. He just wants a treat. I um yeah, I was gonna talk about, you know, if you push it back to the spring, two things on that. Um one, you know, the worst thing, like you said, then we can't play it in the spring if things ain't got better. Let me tell you something. If things ain't got better by the spring, football's gonna be the least of our worries. Because <laughs> a lot of sick people and a lot of death. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, if, if you push it back to the spring and you play just a conference schedule, what do you do about uh, the following year, twenty one? Because let's say this, let's say we start the last week of February, end at the end of April. Uh, so then you got May, June, July, boom, it's August. Do you, do you then push the twenty one season back till October and start it late? Well, I, I think that people will work through that stuff. I, I don't think anyone's figured that out yet. I mean, I think you would assume that the spring season would not be nearly as long as a regular season right. um, because and the wear and tear. There's a lot of, you know, you'd, you'd be consulting with a lot of trainers and health and safety experts about playing two seasons in one calendar year. Um, you know, and yeah, you could go shorter and you could start later in the fall as well. I mean, that again, that's another reason why the spring is a last resort because it would impact the 2021 season as well. But again, if your other alternative is to not have it at all, you're going to try to play it. Um, but those are issues as well as, you know, the, the Clemsons and Ohio States of the world, you know, anticipating losing their top talent who is draft eligible, they're not going to play in the spring either. So those are those are the two main, you know, topics that keep coming up about a spring season. But again, I think that 
you know, you're not going to, if you make a decision on fall sports to, to postpone or cancel, I, I, I don't see, I mean, it could happen, but it would be hard to say that and not say we're going to try for the spring and, and keep that hope yeah. alive. I agree. And then I, I'll, another thing about that is if you can't play football in September, uh, you know, let's say you push it back. Let's say initially we say conference only across the board and we're going to start this thing at the end of September. That's going to be the, the goal. Uh, and then we can't. And so you say we're going to push it back to the spring. Well, chances are if you can't play football at the end of September, you can't play basketball inside a marina in November. So then do you do you start basketball in April? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Well, I think I think they're going to – they need to play a basketball season and they need to have an NCAA tournament. I, I don't think – I think that you could start that in January. You could start that later too. But I, I, I don't think that you're going to make it so that it wouldn't overlap with Football, if you have to have them overlap, you'd have them overlap. Yeah. And they overlap and anyway. Nicole, Nicole, as we wrap this up, I know on Monday uh, you, you released an article on talking about why a national standard for safety guidelines doesn't exist. And you you were told uh, by the NCAA two weeks ago that they have new guidelines that they'll put out soon that would serve as, quote, best practices. So without giving away that entire article, because I know you don't want to do that. Go ahead and give us the Cliff Notes version and the gist. Yeah, so um, that, that's been one thing that ha- they have been under attack for is that this is a global pandemic and they haven't had, you know, here's here's how it works. Here's the standard. And it's been up to campuses and conferences to make those decisions. And I think that, you know, one, he is just really... So the issue is that, you know, there, there's liability concerns, ob- obviously, um, and especially with a new contagious virus that people are still learning about, but also it's different in different places. So that's one of the justifications of having that flexibility and not having a strict standard. Um, but we are waiting and it could be, you know, at some point this week um, to get those next guidelines. They're going to be kind of like best practices. It will have you know, ideas of, um, you know, the, the frequency of testing that, that would be required for competitions, um, you know, recommendations about wearing masks for certain activities and things of that nature. Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know exactly what's on it, but it's going to be pretty, pretty um, you know, comprehensive. And again, the closest thing to best practices they have, it's not going to be, you know, again, the NCAA can't require this type of thing. But these would be guidelines, and, and you would think a lot of the Power Five and, and FBS and, and people would adopt it. And, Nicole, I want to tell everybody, make sure they get the athletic because I've had it. As a matter of fact, your colleague who you mentioned earlier, Chris Vanini, he came on our show a couple of years ago. Because he came on the show, I bought the athletic. I gave it a try. I've been a huge fan. This is your second appearance with us. Uh, you've come on before. Uh, we have a friend of ours, David Glenn, that's obviously columnist for uh, as far as college basketball, but tell folks how they can get the athletic. It's a great deal. I'm trying to get my colleagues, Kyle and Bubba, to come on board with me, theathletic.com. Only $40 a year, guys. Come on. we can. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just go to theathletic.com or you can, you know, on any of my articles on Twitter, um, which it's Nicole Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H, um, you can go through any of those. And we have promo codes all the time. Um, you know, I know there's one, at least, if it's just theathletic.com, protect the rock slash protect the rock. Um, it was tied to our Clemson podcast. That's that should be 40 percent off. Um, but we have deals all the time. And, yeah, you get everything. You get local, you get national, um, all sports, UK, soccer, all of that um, for one for one subscription. So thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do hope that we are doing this again in December and arguing about who you know should make the playoff. 
Absolutely. Definitely- what, what kind of dog do you have? He's a uh, Bijan Yorkie, and his name is Red Auerbach. So he, you know, like he does have a oh. sports background. If we're, if you know, he's crashing a sports show, so no, no doubt about it. Nice. Well, thank you, Nicole. Enjoy right. your work. Enjoy the athletic, and uh, hopefully, we can talk to you soon about sports and not COVID. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, have a good night. All right, that's Nicole Auerbach again with the Athletic, and uh, one of my favorite people in all of Pirate Nation. Obviously, that's done fantastic work in. Wilmy Woods, some people say Port City, obviously, the, hence the name Port City Films. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the guy, our hero for the entrance video. Hopefully we can see an entrance video for 2020 or 21, whenever the season's going to be. Curtis Thieman, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How, uh, how are you guys doing today? All right. I just have a question. Is there any way we can get Kyle in one of your films? I mean, he's a great actor. What do you think about Kyle? <laughs> You know, we can. Uh, I've got I'm a, his agent, uh, so I get a cut of everything he does. We, we've got a little bit of, well, I don't know what the cut's going to look like, but we, <laughs> we've got a little bit of a five-year plan. I don't know how COVID's going to affect it, but um, uh, there there are, we're hoping to shoot some scenes with some more uh, actors involved. That's all I'm going to say right now, and uh, you know, I'll definitely let you guys know uh, when they come up, because we might need some bodies in the background. Yeah, how would that work? And with, with you know, with preparing a, a, a film or a film, an interest video for for uh, for the twenty season, not knowing if you're going to have a season, and you know, with social distancing and all, how hard is it to to shoot? It, does it change um, where you can film, how you can film, when you can film? I mean, it definitely does. It definitely factored into our plan for this year. Uh, we we kind of are approaching it like a scaled down version that um, we would be able to roll out in 2021 if we had to. Uh, so we're keeping that in mind. Um, you know, obviously there's so there's so much up in the air. It's hard to tell what's gonna what's gonna come down in the next couple weeks. Uh, I'm hoping that you know they can salvage something, even if you know for some reason they they played with just the players and and didn't have any fans in the stands. I'd still want to roll out a video that we could send out of the fans. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll learn a lot over the next couple of weeks. Uh, our approach was a little bit different. We, we had to figure out a way to do it uh, without obviously a big shoot, uh, a big crew. We, we had a crew of four people on this shoot. Uh, and then we had three players. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how to bring in some, it, you know, the challenge we have is is there's a balance of, of keeping kind of the base that we've built as far as the styles and the and the, some of the footage and, and uh, the story, but also refreshing it, right? So a lot of people want to see a new thing every year, and a lot of people say, hey, that works. We love it. That's what we want. Um, so there's a balance there. You know, as a fan, I, I want to see – I want to see a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. I don't ever want to just rinse and repeat. I want to try to keep it fresh. Uh, you know, with that balance, you're going to frustrate some fans. You're going to, uh, you know, you're going to make some people, uh, some people happy. But, um, yeah. So essentially what we're doing is kind of a, uh, refreshing. Uh, so we've got some new footage that we actually never released before, uh, both from our first year and last oh, year. Cool. Um, that we're going to try to incorporate. And then we've got 
we shot a little bit of foot footage. Uh, some people may have seen some social media posts uh, that we were at ECU. We were shooting with the limited crew. Uh, we got some nice stuff there. Uh, so we've got some ideas on how to change up the music, how, how to kind of do the same thing, but different, but yeah. yeah. Okay, I got an idea for you, Curtis. All right. <laughs> no, no picture. picture. I got a seat butt on. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. You, you, you take, you take, you take these badass football players, right? Mm-hmm. And you put this music that goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you have them dance yeah. by air guitar for no apparent reason. What if? What if we had a, just a little out of sync? Yeah, it's a little out of sync, exactly. Yes. They're chanting at kind of the wrong time. Yes, 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 that's it. I just, I've never seen anything like that, so I feel like that might work. Great <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh Curtis, as far as uh, I know with uh, times, uh, let's talk about for you personally, I know with COVID-19, it's been very difficult with uh with obviously that. And then in the previous times we've had uh, different kind of stuff with, uh, not the incentives. I think some of the incentives are back, I guess, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, uh, can you talk a little bit? I know that's maybe a little bit inside baseball for folks, but can you explain a little bit of that about the incentives as far as tax incentives and different things for North Carolina? I'm hoping that I am so sick and tired of watching stuff on television here that, uh, jingle made in Georgia. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. I want it to be made in North Carolina. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it's hard to see it a lot of times. You know, uh, I remember getting texts because I've got a lot of friends at the studio. I got a lot of friends in the all the inner circles. So I get texts when people like Spielberg scout uh, when they scout for things like Stranger Things that filmed in Atlanta. Uh, there's so many projects that that we've missed out on, uh, you know, for political reasons. Essentially, our our film incentives went away. And other states capitalized on it because they saw how much money uh, that the film industry brings in. It's 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 tough because on the surface, in in the perfect world, you know, I'd be against incentives as well. Um, but you know, that's what states, a lot of states, and a lot of industry are built on. So uh, when you see how it works, when you see what a film does, when it comes into a community and how it just dumps money throughout the community from, you know, every little mom and pop store, every hotel, every restaurant, uh, you know, you hear about movies like Iron Man three and how they spent a hundred and whatever million dollars, you know, Downey Jr. And the actors only get so much of that. A lot of that money is just dumped into the community. So that's why states offer such high incentives is because that money is just distributed uh, throughout the community. And a lot of people, uh, you, you know, um, do well with that. So I hate that they went from X incentive, 25 percent and, you know, uh, whatever the structure was to zero when they could have just maybe scaled it down or found some middle ground. If they, if they didn't, if you didn't see that as working, find some middle ground where, where you think it does work for the state and for the taxpayers. I, you know, I, I do understand the other side of that argument, but at what point does it, you know, does it make sense? I, I, for example, I had a friend on social media who was like, I'm against incentives under no, under no circumstances should you, you ever have an incentive. I said, okay, George, Oops, said his name. Anyway, okay, George. <laughs> I said, what if this company said they'd move into your city, spend $10 million, and all you had to do is give them $1? As a politician, would you make that deal? And he was like, well, I was like, okay. So we're accepting that incentives 
makes sense on some level. You just have to find that balance. So I hate that they, we had, we had a healthy film industry for 20 plus years. Uh, and all of a sudden it just went away overnight because of the incentive game. Uh, it has come back for the last three years. We, uh, we've seen a, we've seen a, a nice uptick. We've seen more production. It's still not where it was. Um, but as long as we kind of continue on this path, well, pre COVID, I would say, uh, we'd be in a good spot. Um, but it, it is heartbreaking to know, you know, and to see all my film friends and all the, all the people who are super talented film people just moved to other states, moved to Atlanta, moved to LA, moved to New York. Uh, you know, it's frustrating to see when they've lived in Wilmington for 20 years, they've built a career here. Um, it's sad to see them go. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is film is good for everybody. And if you talk to anybody who's worked around a, a feature film or a television show, it would tell you about the amount of money that just gets dumped into the community and how good that is. So, yeah, it'd be nice to have a show like um, Outer Banks. We had a film in North Carolina. Yeah, like a show about <laughs> North Carolina being filmed in North Carolina. Yeah. That'd be neat. Yeah. <laughs> so, a perfect example, like back in the day with Dawson's Creek. I know the guys right. have. Uh, Katie Holmes, they love Katie Holmes. So, um, back in the day with Dawson's Creek was huge. And I know there wasn't one tree hill, uh, a lot of movies, uh, even way back in the eighties that were, um, uh, teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, some of those way, way back, uh, that were really cool. So it'd be nice to have uh, that back and hopefully we can. Let's talk now about you though with, uh, I don't think we talked about the no quarter video. Have we, uh, Bubba? I don't think we have so far. Do you want to? You want to talk about yeah, that? Last year, Curtis and you guys obviously uh, reworked the no quarter video. Um, had had uh, Steve in on that as well, making it uh, more lifelike. Uh, so um, that was really cool. What was it out in Manio or somewhere that you shot that on a on an actual pirate ship? And that, that was very neat. And um, so, do you think this year um, is it going to be the same, or are you going to tweak that as well? Um. So I think right now the plan is to keep the no quarter video uh, the same. There, there are some changes I want to make to it. Um, our, uh, but for right now, I think the plan is to keep it the same and, and just to kind of uh, re- refresh that uh, or kind of replay that every year for, for a little while. Uh, I, I, there are some changes we'll make this year, uh, but after that, I think it will be kind of set for a little bit. And did you say earlier, um, are you through with your filming for the entrance video, or did you say there's still some more filming to be done? With no, that? that's, all, that's all the filming we're going to do for, for this year. Um, okay. To be honest, we're just kind of sitting waiting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks to see if, uh, you know, to see if we're going to be able to air it this year. Uh, you know, the, the exciting thing for us is this is the first time we'll actually be able to use highlights. So the, there will be highlights. There'll be actual game footage, uh, included. Uh, the first year we did it, the, um, essentially it was, that was coming off of Scotty Montgomery's second year. Uh, there wasn't really an opportunity to show highlights, uh, for various reasons. Uh, but, but, but uh, <laughs> It, it, it wasn't that there wasn't highlights, you know, obviously there was, there were great moments, but I wanted to really focus on the story. I wanted to really just like give people my vision for, for what, uh, what we wanted for the entrance video. Uh, last year we couldn't do it because we'd be using highlights from Scotty Montgomery's last year, last season. 
So now we've got uh, a Mike Houston. We have Mike Houston uh, highlights. We have we have a, the kind of the core base of what we have going forward. Uh, so I'm really excited. Uh, I'm actually going to be working with Brian Medor uh, to uh, implement uh, a re- the reimagining of the video with highlights, and, and I think that'll give it a lot more energy. Uh, we've got some special things coming with the music. Uh, I'm working with the team here uh, in Wilmington uh, to do some special things there. I can't talk too much about that, um, but these things are are going to come together. I just I hope it's for the 2020 season and not the 2021 season. Yeah, what about the spring of 21 season? Would you would you would there be anything you would do different uh, if we were playing football this spring? I don't think so. I think. Um, I mean, what we've done and kind of the plan we have for the next iteration, I think it'll play in this in this fall, spring, or next fall if needed. Um, you know, if we have more time, if it ends up being that there's uh, no football till next fall, which would be super depressing. Hush, Curtis. Hush. At, least, at least it was the spring. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll say spring. Uh, <laughs> if, um, you know, if for some reason there's not football this spring, I think we'd probably keep with what we're, we've got planned for right now. That'll just give us a little more time to kind of sink our teeth into it. So. No doubt. Uh, as far as, uh, can you talk about the, how much time does it take? I know you guys work hours and hours. Can you give an idea? I don't think fans, and I'm doing this on purpose. I don't think fans realize the amount of time you put into that video. We, all we do is we walk up there and we sit in our seats and then obviously we see the entrance video and they like, that's so cool. And you put hours and hours and hours for what, a few minutes? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, the, amazing. it's amazing. The finals a minute and a half. Uh, our first, our first iteration, uh, we, we spent, uh, I think four weeks nonstop, uh, a team of about five people. So, uh, you know, we have a great VFX person in house, uh, Mark Eaton, who was able to do the, the state of mind on fire. Uh, that wide shot is all cool. VFX. Um, all the close-ups are practical. Are, are, we were actually shot in Carolina beach. Uh, but we had such an we we had such an amazing team, uh, and it was some of Wilmington's best. I mean, the people who work on those films, the work on the television shows. Uh, you know, I put out the call and I just said, "This is this is what we want to do." So year one, I I I started at the top. I was like, "I'm going to throw it out to the best filmmakers I know, and then I'll trickle down based on you know our time and budget and their availability." And luckily, everybody said yes, and I've hooked them, and they they love doing it. So so far, every year. Every call I've made, people have been completely on board. Um, you know, going back to the, the no quarter video in Manio, uh, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to actually shoot on a ship at night with Steve and a couple of his, uh, pirate actors, the guys that, that are in his, uh, his troop, um, to, to, to see them and just there, there's, there's several moments. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years, but there's several moments where you step back and you're like, I'm on a ship <laughs> with pirate actors and we're making an ECU video. This is happiness. This is like, this is, uh, you know, this is what I've meant. This is what I meant to do. This is, uh, it's just, you know, for, for years I talked about, uh, so, you know, someday I'll try to make the entrance video or someday I'd like to make the entrance video or, 
and you say things like that, but deep down you're like, but will I, or will I actually get that opportunity or will the right person actually, will the door open at the right time? And, you know, thanks to uh, just a relationship I had and meeting Brian Medor and him kicking the door down, like we were able to get in. So I'm in, I'm just trying to hold on for a few years and just do as much pirate stuff as I can because this is fun and this is uh, my respite. <laughs> so. so in addition to the entrance video, what other stuff are you working on right now? Can you tell us or are you have to kill us? You mean, uh, well, I mean, East Carolina, all it is is the entrance video. Uh, outside that, I mean, we do a, a variety of things. We, we do animation, we do video production. Uh, we just, we actually just produced for uh, a group in Austria who couldn't get to Charlotte for a shoot. So, uh, we went, went in and produced a shoot for them. Um, but, you know, there's, there's such a variety of, of projects that we do. Uh, we do 2D and 3D animation and then, just any video production. Sometimes it's a film project. Sometimes it's a television project. But most of the time, we're doing corporate uh, and commercial projects. So, Council, got anything else for Curtis? Yeah. What about uh, certainly with uh, with everything going on with uh, with COVID? Does that does that change your game plan? I know you were talking about earlier with the smaller crews, but uh, what else is the stuff that we're not even thinking about behind the scenes that that you're having to deal with. Cause I'm seeing like with different things like uh, soap operas and a lot of movies in LA and different things that there's finally starting back like this week. And it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we've gone through all, all the uh, guidelines for California, for Georgia, uh, for North Carolina. Um, yeah. You know, it's, there, there's a lot of levels. It really it scales based on the size of crew, um, but it's kind of common sense stuff. Most of it boils down to, you know, don't. Uh, and the thing with film industry is, is there's so many people on sets. There's so many people behind the camera. There's so much uh, interaction. There's so there's there's so many people in confined spaces. So it's really just, you know, trying to keep your distance. Trying, you know, not uh, if it's unnecessary, not to be on set. Uh, staying away as, as, as much as possible, li- limiting your crews, bringing people in, uh, just as they're needed. Um, and then just wiping down equipment, constant, like, you know, taking fever or t- taking temperatures, uh, making sure that anybody who's, who's not feeling right, making sure everybody's communicating and anybody who has been exposed gets quarantined. Anybody, so, uh, you know, most of, uh, we've done about six shoots at this point, uh, just over the last few weeks. Um, and so far they've all been four or five crew or smaller. So, so we, they've all been limited. They've all been small scale. Um, but so, so we're not, uh, dealing with a lot of the big, the big sets right now. Um, and I, I don't know how they're going to deal with it. Obviously there's, uh, it's, it's, you know, any amount of anybody who tests positive is going to put the whole thing on hold or on halt. Um, and they're just going to have to, uh, take a step back. So it's, 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 it's interesting to see it. Um, but I don't know how these big productions are going to move forward all the way through the schedules that they do, uh, you know, while maintaining, uh, the safety precautions because, because they are pretty involved and they are pretty lengthy and film sets are pretty hectic. So. 
Curtis, last thing. Go ahead, Bubba. Sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Well, okay. Well, last thing I got for you, then Bubba's got some. Um, I uh, just who who are some of your uh, favorite filmmakers and influences on you uh, as a filmmaker that uh, you kind of patterned yourself after or had an impact on you? And just uh, also talk about the tie between sports and and making and making films. So, um, as far as filmmakers, you know, you know, I grew up a big Spielberg fan. Uh, there's a lot of kind of nods to Spielberg in our first iteration of Enter the Pirate from. Uh, him standing up and put, putting on his pirate hat, you know, that that's kind of a reflection of the Indiana Jones. Uh, there's set several shots in the Indy. Um, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Edgar Wright. Uh, he is, he's a phenomenal filmmaker. Um, you know, I, I really, I really just kind of enjoy, uh, you know, Kira Kurosawa and, um, Quentin Tarantino. I, I mean, all the, I kind of respect everybody on a certain level. Even like I remember when I was at East Carolina, Kevin Smith came and talked for five hours. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Smith's movies, but I I love him as a filmmaker. Like sitting and talk and listening to him for five hours is wow. is amazing. So, uh, but as far as my influences, I, you I like Clerks. Sorry, Clerks like was great. No, no, no. I liked Clerks. I'm just not a huge Kevin Smith fan because all his characters have the same voice. You know, you know, they're all Kevin Smith's voice. <laughs> just pulled through different vessels. So, yeah. um, but as far as film filmmakers, I mean, I know it's such a cop out, and and now you know because Spielberg's had a couple bad movies that people hate him. But you know, it's like I grew up with Jurassic Park. I grew up with Indiana Jones. Those are the movies that you know. When I approached the first iteration of the Pirates Entrance, I wanted to have iconic moments. So when you step back, there would be these visuals that you just kind of held on to of the pirate turning and smiling of the pirate putting on his hat of the state of mind on fire of the pirate kind of walking into the fire. There were just moments, you know, that's what, that's how I see when, when I watch Spielberg's movies, you kind of go away with those, those cool moments. Like what are your favorite parts of, of, you know, Raiders? Like you could sit there and you'd name these, these really you're naming scenes that are encompassed by a shot that, that have, you know, that he put everything into that visual jaws same way. You know, it's like when he throws his chum in the water and he stands up, you're going to need a bigger boat. It's like, there are these moments. And I, I really, when we made that, that story, I just wanted, I was like, I want people to just have a couple visuals seared into their heads. And if you do that, I think people kind of forgive you for any miscomings, you know? Um, but uh, that's, that's, that's kind of what we try to do. We just wanted to have some big visuals. We wanted to just hit people with everything that, that we had. And, and uh, I think Spielberg is the person I pulled from the most is just because he's such a master of those moments that are so iconic and, and so memorable uh, when you watch his films. Did you like eight millimeter? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was different for Spielberg. Yeah, it was. The, yeah. Uh, it was like, um, yeah, I enjoy it. <laughs> In fact, uh, a lot of people don't know that you were talking about Jaws, 45th anniversary, the very first really like summer blockbuster ever where it was released thousands of screens across the nation. A lot of people don't know that. That's what started the whole summer blockbuster many years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's such a phenomenal movie. I, I just saw the other day there's there's some lake that screens it over the water and you sit on the inner tube and watch it. Oh, that's awesome. 
Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, even a lake that would that would mess with your head. Uh, I'd totally do it though. That'd be fun. Bubba, you had a question for him. Well, Johnny Gardner, one of our loyal listeners and viewers, uh, does. And Johnny said, and Curtis, how did you end up on the Port City scene? Did you go straight there? Or did you start in California or Georgia and then seek your opportunity in the North Carolina market? So, no, we actually uh, – I was at East Carolina with Jonathan Medford, uh, my now business partner, and we were starting – we were actually starting a full-service ad agency called Inspire. So when we first got our start, it was 2005 – uh, we saw that Wilmington had such a uh, robust film industry at that time. So we moved to Wilmington. There were five of us originally. Um, and yeah, we came down here and, and kind of started up. Uh, at that, one of the first things we did actually, that was when Skip Holtz, uh, had just started his golf tournament. And I put in calls to Henry Hinton, the, and whatever people we knew at the time in the pirate community, because, I was like, hey, we're starting this ad agency. We want to be involved. So we got we got up with Skip uh, and actually did the advertising for his golf tournament. So we did uh, the Drew Steele Skip Holtz golf tournament. We did the logo. We did their mm-hmm. website. We did their videos. Uh, that was our co- company. It was called Inspire. Uh, and uh, technically, it, it still exists. But after the economy collapsed in 2008 and came back, um, Jonathan and I decided to kind of restructure uh, telling stories on the video production side was a passion. So I just went, uh, you know, essentially we started two separate companies that, uh, that we both kind of own and operate. So, uh, Port City Films is one, one of those companies. And, uh, you know, it was with Inspire, we were doing video production and we were telling stories, but it was only a portion of what we were doing. And, uh, I saw an opportunity to just jump in and do, video production uh around around the clock and uh you know be in my studio at 9 p.m at night and uh <laughs> just hang out with guys like you yeah exactly uh, <laughs> i had a question for you uh selfishly my oldest nephew wants to go into filmmaking honest to god he really does and uh he wants to go to the film school at the i guess it's now the unc um school of the arts Great. Uh, how, where do they get their, how does the guy, he's a rising senior in high school, where do they get their start? So I guess there are people watching that may have that same question. Is it, I guess there's different paths to. Yeah. Oh, sure. There's so many di- different paths. So uh, there's a guy named Eli Wallace Johansson, very good friend of mine. He's actually been our DP, director of photography uh, for other people, cinematographer of all the ECU videos that we've done, the pirate videos. He went to North Carolina Film of the Arts. I uh, came out of there. I've been working with him um, about 12 years now on and off, but uh, it's a, that's a phenomenal school. There's not a lot of film programs I recommend because it's something you can learn just by getting a camera in your hands, being around the right people and just going and doing it. But I do think depending on what he might be interested in, I think North Carolina school of the arts is a phenomenal place to go. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other people. When people come here to Wilmington, we have UNCW and we have Cape Fear Community College. I actually direct a lot of people, depending on what they want to do, to Cape Fear because uh, Duke Fire is a friend of mine who runs that program. And he does a really good job of, in two years, gives you kind of a base 
get stuff in your hands. He's no nonsense and, and people are off and running and, and people who come out of, of his program are, are really solid. So there's no real path. My, my brother, who is a director who goes back and forth between North Carolina and LA, uh, he went to UNC Asheville for two years and then dropped out and just bought a camera. So, um, so I, I will say this is, I've, I've never known another producer or production company or filmmaker to look at a resume and see where you went to college uh, because this industry is what can you do? And the NC School of the Arts is probably, and I'm going to get chastised for this, I've not spent much time getting to know East Carolina's film program. I came through when it was communications, um, but uh, that's the one I can recommend for sure. Cause I know people have gone through it. They do a phenomenal job. Uh, but again, depending on what you're doing, there are a lot of paths. I, I, I would say that you definitely don't have to go to college. Um, if you do make sure it's a good college with more importantly, a good film community there, make sure there are people there who will help you make your stuff on the side and you can build relationships because most of the people, that go to those film schools, come out, the kind of mantra that they always, you know, uh, lean on is, is that they met the best filmmakers that they work with today in those places. So it's definitely a place if you're in the middle of wherever, North Carolina or Iowa, and you just need to go somewhere and, and, and get into it. Hey, that's great. I think, I think there are a lot of great film schools out there, but I do think there are too many film schools that people, just go in, spend their money, and they, they're not they're not properly prepared to integrate within the community, and they come out, uh, and it doesn't, you know, it's not going to get them a job. You've got to, it's really what can you do, uh, and people will look at your reel, and they will not, they don't care about your grades. They don't care about where you went to school. So, so David, uh, tell Amy that Curtis said for your nephew, to just grab a camera and take his ass to LA and uh, make sure. Atlanta. Sure, yeah. Atlanta. 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 Yeah, I'm sure that that would go over really well. She'll kill me for suggesting to <laughs> go 3,000 miles away. Or, yeah. Uh, no, whatever. The arts is, yeah, it's a good spot. And, and just make sure that when, when they get there, they, they, you know, dive in, help people make stuff. Uh, and, and get people to help you make your stuff, you know, you know work on the side and, uh, you know, that, that's what I wish I had. I went, when I went through East Carolina, I didn't have, you know, we had a few friends. Uh, there were, there was a small group of us that wanted to do projects, uh, but it, there wasn't a community. And I, I really wish when I was at East Carolina, there was a film community that I could really lean on. And I hope they have that now. I just, I've heard there's a film school and that's great. I'd love to, I'd love to see what they're doing. Uh, I don't know much about it. Uh, we uh, want to have you, if you don't mind, do you have a few minutes you can spend with us on a round table? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. All right. Uh, as a fan, I know we had the filmmaker and you're also a fan. Uh, when do you think, do you have any kind of insight? What's your gut feeling as far as, uh, as far as East Carolina football? Do you think we're going to play in the fall? Do you think we're going to be um, the spring? What is, What is your gut feeling? <sighs> Man, I mean, right before we got on here, I read that, there are 27 students that just got uh, tested positive today. Or well, 27 people. That could be staff, students. Okay. 27 out of the 400 some tests. Um, my gut tells me that we're not going to play this fall. And I hope I'm wrong, man. Even if it's eight games, even if it's 
two games. I don't care. Like I, I grew up on the Ohio state, Michigan border. Uh, I need college football in my life. Um, but my gut tells me college football is not going to happen, but NFL will figure it out and they'll have maybe games without fans or something. Uh, I think there will be football this fall, but I, I just, I worry that there's not going to be college football. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Curtis. Um, I, I do feel pretty confident we'll play it in the spring. I, I don't think uh, schools like East Carolina uh, can afford to fund their athletic department with going a whole year without playing football. And then for schools that can't afford it, like Alabama, uh, the amount of money they're going to lose, they just don't want to lose. I mean, you're talking about Alabama, they're looking to lose 80 to $100 million. So um, I do think that uh, probably won't happen this fall, unfortunately. I hope it does. I'm not going to give up until they say it ain't going to happen. Yep. But I do think it'll happen in the spring. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting, uh, Easter eggs and football. But uh, I, 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 uh, I think we're going to have a weird sports year ahead of us. Yeah, I agree. Bubba, do you have a question for Kurtz? Uh, I was just going to chime in with some stuff for the, the roundtable. Um, that's what um, I saw today. The, the SEC postponed the start of volleyball, soccer, and cross country through uh, – through August 31st, and they, they reiterated, I think this is Brett McMurphy, but it said that that would not impact football. So it was funny. Folks were, of course, chiming in saying, of, of course, they, they're they not going to do that to the sport that all the rednecks love. And that's that such an ignorant thing to say. If it wasn't for football, there would be no SEC volleyball or anything else. So it's such an ignorant thing to say. When, when, when that provides the money for scholarships, for volleyball, et cetera, when people say stuff like that, they, they're talking out of their ass and don't know what they're talking about. Something else I wanted to mention, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to listen to the interview that was um, done with Patrick Johnson. Um, he had Mike Houston on uh, on Monday afternoon. Right. It was a very good interview, probably at least 20, 25 minutes, um, but – one of the things that Coach Houston said that I found very interesting, and Patrick asked him about the shape the players returned in. He said a third of them were were uh, in great shape, a third of them pretty average, and then a third were below par, and the majority of the ones that were below par were those younger guys. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I think that with uh, Coach Houston, he's uh, the one thing I like about him, he's old school. You could have Coach Houston in any decade in the last – in the seventies or eighties or nineties. I mean, he's just, uh, I love that about him and the physicality, the no nonsense. Um, I hate when I hear the term players coach because that lets me know they're soft. And um, I think that's what we had in a previous administration. So I'm glad that we have a, a guy that's not, not a player. Wait a minute. Uh, coach Sweeney down at Clemson and, and Nick Saban are both known as players coaches. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all I know is that. <laughs> All I know is I want to win, and with Mike Houston, we're going to win. And what we were doing where we're allowing guys to wear earrings at practice and, you know, not tackling and going, as Coach Smith would say, live. Um, all I know is with the guy we have now, if you're not going to do what he wants you to do, you're not going to be in the program. And that's exactly the discipline as the head coach we needed. And um, we're going to win a lot of football games under Mike Houston. It's not a question of if. I think whenever we can play games – uh, is more important right now. And, uh, Houston is, is the real deal. <laughs> I did on purpose as, uh, Scotty Montgomery used to say, but he is the real deal. And the, you look at the recruiting, uh, Curtis, I tell you what, you're going to be, 
I, I have a feeling you're going to be producing videos for championship games or different things um, in the future. Um, if we could just ever play the this 2020 season or 21, the next couple of years for Houston's when things are going to be very bright. Finally. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'd, uh, I'd love to be a part of highlights during an entrance video of trophy lifting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Great point. Well, you will get that. You will get that opportunity. Dave, talking about the football recruiting though, our most recent commitment was uh, from an offensive lineman. Um, we're projected to take probably four offensive linemen in this class, even though it's a smaller class since that's such a position of need. Um, and then also, uh, we probably already have three out of the four wide receivers on um, that we're going to take per uh, Stephen Igo, but, uh, the most recent commitment, six six three ten out of Georgia, Kanan Clark. And uh, that's what he's the fourth commitment in the month of July. And take, take a look and listen to this, guys. Um, two from the state of Virginia, two from Georgia, and two from South Carolina, one from Maryland, and one from Alabama. Not a single commit yeah, yet from the state of North Carolina. I just found that interesting. I'm not saying we're not getting tremendous football players, but I just – Found that very interesting. So it'll be interesting to see out of 15 or so um, in this class, how many end up being from the state. Yeah, last year was a very weak year uh, overall in North Carolina for high school football. Butler, this year. Uh, do what? The last signing class. Right. Um, Bubba, the, you, you, you follow high school football more than the rest of us. Obviously, you coach high school ball. Uh, how, how is high school football in the state projected to be uh, for this upcoming year? Is it a strong class? I've heard Stephen Iger yeah, say it is. Yeah. So This is one of the strongest classes um, that Stephen Igo um, can recall. Maybe the strongest, I think he said, since he started doing this 10, however many years ago. Interesting that we're not having uh, much success early in state. Hopefully that'll change. I'm sure it will. Um, but that that is interesting. Yeah, I think the good news is that we you better have a nice balance. I think you have to have a nice balance where you have like we got what is it twenty twenty five guys we just have to sign or like to sign, and so it's a good it's, so far it's a good balance of stuff out of state, and there's enough players I think in the state of North Carolina. Um, my question would be how many good players can we get in Eastern North Carolina? Um, you know, over the last couple of years, I think we've done a good job of that and then branched out and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's still going to happen. And then we already have those guys from out of state that we needed or wanted. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, you, you would hope. I mean, if, uh, you know, the majority of your recruiting is going to be done in state, uh, no matter what. Um, and, and then of course, uh, we'll hit the, Virginia, Maryland, and, and South Carolina quite a bit. And, but uh, we've had a lot of luck in South Carolina um, since he has been here. But yeah, I do find it, like like Bubba said, it is interesting, not one yeah. from North Carolina yet. Well, I think that uh, Curtis, uh, as far as the as far as far the football program is concerned, uh, do, you put, do you follow the recruiting uh, at all? I know you've got a lot on your plate with uh, filmmaking, but do you follow the recruiting or – uh, more of the inside baseball things for the football program. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I, I'm a, I subscribe to the hoist the colors, uh, site and, um, 
you know, I usually start my morning with uh, some some news headlines, and then I go over to uh, ECU just to kind of see what the new new uh, new thing is. So uh, I probably spend a little bit too much time on hoist the colors, uh, but I, I also try not to get to get too involved in the um, uh, boards. Do you know I go? Yeah. Uh, no, I no, I've not met him personally. Okay, well, I, I got a suggestion for you when you meet him. Okay, you, when you meet him, hey, remember I said this. He, if you remember the old Masters of the Universe cartoon, he yeah. looks like a skinny <laughs> He man. He looks like a skinny He Man. You, you should, you should okay. do something with him. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him because uh, you know I watch the like pirate radio shows and stuff. So, so I've, I've definitely seen him uh, in the in the virtual world, but uh, I've not met him face to face. So. Okay. I I think Colors just started following Port City Films on some platform in the last day or two, though. So that's that's a step closer. <laughs> yeah, when you get a chance to ask him about that, if he can be like a, in a video or something and be uh, Masters of the Universe, he can be he man here. Yeah, may, maybe that'll be our, our final video as it ends with Igo raising the sword and the light. We have the power! <laughs> that would be extra cool. We could totally do that with our VFX. Okay. Bubba, you're going to ask. Kurt, it's a final question I had for you. Um, we've talked about this um, on multiple shows, but um, as an East Carolina alum and an av- avid follower of East Carolina athletics, and, um, it was it was made known recently uh, that – sorry, I'm trying to fend off my five-year-old here. That's not distracting. <laughs> hey, not distracting whatsoever. Yeah, give him a treat. What was the? Yeah. Hey, real quick. Where's the couple hour back? To, uh, show me how it's done when it's when it, when I need it. But uh, but no. As far as the pirate club's concerned, um, it was announced recently. Um, obviously, uh, falling well short of where we need to be. Need to be around eight and a half million. Uh, only a little less than five million a year ago. Uh, so just what are your thoughts there um, and um, just people you come into contact with and just try to spread, uh, get people to do what they need to do um, and as they can for East Carolina athletics. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough and there's a lot of layers to that. Uh, I think the first thing I'd do is call Vince McMahon and uh, just yeah. see what's, <laughs> what's up, man. This is a drop in the bucket. For Absolutely. You. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, I mean, before COVID started, it's winning, you know, you know, and, or, or having a product that you're proud of. And, and I think, I think coach Houston is, is gonna, is gonna put that on the field. Um, yeah, it's a tough time, you know, uh, luckily we've, we've stayed pretty busy through this pandemic. Um, I know a lot of people that haven't, I know, uh, I don't know how you ask for more money from certain certain people. Yeah, you know, um, you just got to hope that we we you know that it doesn't get worse than where we are today, and that we can head in the right direction. And and hopefully, uh, business you know keeps rolling because because as bad as some things are, it could be much worse. Uh, it could be uh, you, you know there there are still things things moving, and and I feel like we can just head in the right direction then then you know people will be able to donate more and and people will be able to uh, bring more people out but um you know it's unfortunate because we were just on the cusp of this kind of 
resurgence of, of pirate football or so it felt that like, oh man, we're right there. Last year, there were so many games. We were so close with SMU and Cincinnati. Uh, and then, you know, now this is happening. Um, I mean, our, the talent I think is there. I think, uh, the swaggers coming back. I think, I think all the pieces are there. You know, we just got to get on the field. And that's why it's, I'd really, I really hope we can find a way to play this fall, even if it's a, uh, smaller season. I hope that we can figure out a way to get on the field and play. Um, I don't care if, if we can't step foot in Dottie Ficklin. You know, I, I just hope the players can play and we can we can take steps in the right direction. But I think that will work its way out. Uh, you know, but but there's definitely uh, some obstacles. Uh, and uh, Vince McMahon will be the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, pal, I yeah. Uh... I don't know. I don't know how much interest Vince and Linda have in East Carolina. To be honest with you, I heard Linda. Oh, I'm with you. When she came to give her commit her commencement speech, oh, was it two years ago? Last year, whenever it was, I heard she wanted to get in and out as fast as she could. Um, I, I wish they would give. Um, be nice. Uh, obviously, Vince is. If he's not our richest alum, uh, he, he, he. I don't know who is. Right. So uh, it, it'd be nice. Hell, I, you know. He, I, he, we could call it WWE Stadium would be fine with me, whatever he needs. <laughs> right. Yeah. SmackDown yeah. Stadium. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> SmackDown. Yeah. What for, uh, for me personally, I think it's a lot of, uh, things that have happened behind the scenes. There's been a lot of people that we've trusted, unfortunately, and, um, we won't mention their names. And then with a uh, bad, ADs, bad coaching hires. Uh, there's a whole bunch of then we have COVID. Um, there's all kinds of craziness that's happened. And I think that there's, you know, Kyle has said it before. I think there's a lot of people, Curtis, that they're still on a wait and see program, a wait and see, uh, for the program because they're like, we've, we've been, you know, so it's a matter of trust and communication. Sure. And I think, I think the trust is not there still. I think the pieces are in place as far as, administration i think with the coaching hires and all that until like you said the winning comes and then i think after the winning comes maybe eventually that uh what, what did you call it uh i think kyle called it the most stink yeah <laughs> um that there's like the most stink and people still haven't taken that shower or maybe they take the shower it's still not quite off of them yet. Well, it's not the most stink it's the comfort ass that's also on us um <laughs> yeah that lingers yeah so <laughs> We 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 got to get that off of us, and I think there's a lot of people, and you know, I don't want to get down a down a rabbit hole here and get too uh, into the into the weeds of East Carolina behind the scenes. Really, there's a lot of people at East Carolina that have been in um, positions of power uh, behind the scenes a little too long, and uh, they've they've uh, they've forgotten what East Carolina is supposed to be about, and um, let their political agenda kind of run things too much. And uh, I think it's time for some of those people to take a little big step away from East Carolina. Well, and that, and the fact that there's a lot of us that are middle-aged, it's our time to lead. You know, we were very young uh, being at East Carolina. It was not our time to lead. And I think there's a lot of us in our forties now, thirties and forties that this is our prime. This is our time to shine. This is a, uh, I think there are people that forgot the word legacy and what that means. And, you know, I, I would hate to say that, when I'm older, looking back that my legacy is what's happened in the last seven years. I hope that's not my legacy and I'm going to do everything I can. I've been giving more money more money every year doing the opposite because I don't want more sports dropped and a whole bunch of crazy stuff that's happened that 
I would have never thought in a million years, this whole thing with COVID, um, I, everything that's happened to our program over the last uh, seven years has been outrageous. So maybe you can make a movie about it, Curtis. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, but it's hopefully, I think that we're headed in the right direction. I really do. And um, certainly we could talk hours about it. Uh, before we let you go, Curtis, uh, how can people find your work? If there's other stuff or maybe there are people that want you to make a documentary or they want to get in touch with you. How can they do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, Port City Films, we're on most of the, the big platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and then portcityfilms.com. We, uh, like I said, we, we do, uh, film and television projects, uh, but we also do a lot of commercial and corporate vi- videos all around the country, sometimes internationally. Um, but, uh, yeah, we definitely want to get more into that feature film world, so. If anybody's got got those ideas, you know, you know, and a little bit of cash to back it up. We're your team. <laughs> yeah, the guy right here, uh, Kyle, he he and I both love pro wrestling, so maybe you can make a pro wrestling film. We're your guys, and <laughs> we can help you out on that. There you go. Yeah. I don't know about the cash part. I don't know about the cash part, so, but we can definitely. So, 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 are you guys the the talent for for the project? Oh my god, I, I, Kyle can do it. <laughs> I, maybe several years ago, for my knees are bad, and I, I I don't know what Dave has in mind. Uh, you know, we, we both love old school 80s wrestling. It would be a cool idea for a movie to, to do a retro wrestling movie that was based like in the old territories when you had 20 different territories yeah. throughout America. And, you, had, you know, you had the Crockett, the Crockett promotions. You had the old Memphis territory and the Portland territory. And to make a movie about those days would be a cool idea. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah. I think one day the Coen brothers to make a movie about 2020. Oh my god! That would be awesome. It'll be, it'll be a horror movie. <laughs> One of my favorite movies in recent years is uh, Mickey Rourke when he did The Wrestler. Yeah, oh, that movie was incredible. incredible. Yeah, was yeah, no doubt. Well, Curtis, uh, thanks, man. Appreciate you so much, and uh, hopefully we can definitely have you back on in a few months. I guess whenever we finally know about the entrance video and have you uh, talk about it, and uh, certainly talk about sports and not about COVID-19 and the delay and when we're going to have things and when we're not going to have things, but it's always a pleasure. I'm a huge fan of your work, huge fan of you. And I'm glad that you went to East Carolina and I'm glad you're down in Wilmington and hopefully we can keep you down there too. That'll be awesome to keep you in Wilmington and not in Georgia or, or Louisiana or uh, New York or LA. Well, I'm here to stay. I appreciate uh, you guys ha- having me on again. Uh, good seeing you guys uh, virtually. Exactly. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, looking forward to the net next one. But uh, we're we're here for a couple years anyway. <laughs> All right, take care, man. Hope you have a great night. Appreciate All the time, right. brother. All right, th- All right. thanks. Guys. Take care. All right, Curtis Steeman there, uh, Four City Films. Great to have him on, and uh, a lot of fun guys. Before we wrap this thing up, Kyle, you're awesome. You th- what do you think? That would be a great idea for a movie. I have to give you credit. That was uh, oh, yeah. You yeah, know, I'm surprised it hasn't been done. Honestly, um, it just it's, it's obvious that uh. You could do it a, you could do a, a nonfiction film looking back at the different territories or, uh, you could do fictional. You, you could have, uh, you know, to take somebody that never existed, but kind of base him on somebody, a, yeah. a singles wrestler working his way up from continental on through, you know, Memphis to the Crockett promotions of the Carolinas to all, you know, on up to WWF. That would be really cool. And Bubba, do you know what we're talking about? No clue. <laughs> we love you for your honesty. 
But um, yeah, certainly that'll be cool. And I tell you who we could. I know I'll tell we you who would help us out. <laughs> I tell you that Jim Cornette would help us out. I'm sure that um, he would help us out with the project because he, he's uh, tremendous. And uh, for those of you who don't know that is, look him up. I'm sure that a lot of people. Uh, and we need Pirate Al. Pirate Al would help us out too. Pirate Al, would, he's a huge wrestling fan. <laughs> I think we're going to need a budget first of all, Dave. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, um, we can do a GoFundMe thing, right? Uh, project. All right, guys, do you have anything before we go? No, that's it. Just, uh, uh, I don't know if looking forward is the right word, but, uh, anxious to see what's going to happen with all this, how soon we'll get back out on the practice field. I, I think, uh, I think Bubba said it was seven days for Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, similar for us, if it's a seven day pause. And, uh, I don't know, man, just weird time. It really is. And, uh, you know, I enjoy you guys very much, but I'm hoping at some point that we can t- review games, the pirate playback preview and playback and, same thing with basketball and, uh, of course, baseball. And uh, that'll be great when we can talk sports again. Yep, absolutely. All right, Bubba, do you have anything before we go? Yeah, and Kim McNeil, who we'll have on next week, obviously, East Carolina's women's basketball coach. And she made an addition to her staff today, Brittany Morris, yeah. who had spent the last three years at UNC Wilmington, um, two of those as recruiting coordinator in addition to her. Uh, on the floor coaching responsibilities uh, has joined her staff. So we'll have to talk about that as well as many other things with, uh, with coach Kim McNeil uh, next uh, week. So uh, look forward to that. And then also um, all the, all the uh, football player interviews with 50 Pirates in 50 days. No doubt. By the way, folks want to remind you that we'll be talking to a guy that uh, most people know in college football field steel uh, we'll be talking to him on Friday morning, and we'll put that podcast out uh, by the weekend for sure, uh, maybe sometime Friday, but uh, we'll definitely have that out. Looking forward to that. He's uh, amazing, and we'll be talking about COVID-19, what it means for his publication. I think Bubba and Kyle fight over who's who's the first to get it, uh, get that publication, but uh, that's been pushed back. We'll talk to him about that, about college football, the future. Uh, is it bright as far as we're going to be playing? We're not going to be playing. I'm sure he'll have some insight on that. That'll be Friday morning that we record that and then uh, have the podcast out for the weekend for sure. So, yeah, yeah, as far as getting Phil, Phil Steele, Kyle, I think, did you pre-order yours? I did not. Uh, I was going to, uh, but then I heard that uh, they would be available on the shelves at um, Barnes & Noble. So I decided I'll just and wait. And, uh, million, maybe? I just heard Barnes & Noble. I just heard Barnes and Noble, Bubba. That do you have knowledge that Book the Million is also going to carry it? Yeah, I listened to an interview with Phil Steele on the Indy Staples Show. Um, so I okay. definitely recommend the Indy Staples Show for all college football fans. But uh, Phil said, yeah, in addition to Barnes and Noble, I'm pretty sure it was Book a Million. So you basically had four options. You could either have pre-ordered it, you could buy it online, or you know get the get the ebook, so to speak. Um, where you can read it on your device or um, Barnes & Noble and I believe the, that fourth option was Books to Me Alright, sounds good so we look forward to that a lot of uh, 50-50 uh, as far as 50 Pirates in 50 Days check those out we have those of course um, they're right here Facebook or they're archived on our YouTube channel and then we also have them on Spotify and Anchor as well so uh, you can look for them there as a podcast Alright guys appreciate Nicole Arbach and of course from The Athletic, 
And we just had, of course, you saw Curtis Thiemann from Port City Films. You've been listening or watching The Sports Objective. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates. You've been listening to The Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.